right. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? So what you just saw was a little quarterly update that our ministry puts out. Um, uh, just giving you a snapshot of some of the things that are happening. We're part of a, a, a ministry called Every Nation that focuses on church planting, campus ministry, and world missions. And so you saw just a few things that God is doing in uh, different parts of the world through our ministry. We, um, are a mis we believe in missions in our church. And in fact, this month we're sending out some teams to Cuba. We're sending out some teams to Australia. And uh, did anyone hear the Lord calling them to Paris just now? I mean, I really, I don't know. I have a feeling. I have to go home and pray about that. I mean, it's a tough life having to, to you know, minister at the base of the Eiffel Tower. I could, I could do that. A little French cafe. I don't know. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. Good morning. I'm Amy Hubbard. I'm part of the leadership team, if I haven't met you yet. I'm part of the team here at High Point. I'm so excited to be uh, sharing you through the, with you this morning. Pastor Andy and Amy um, are at our Every Nation Church in Augusta today, uh, worshiping with our In Focus Church family. So they say hello, and they'll be back um, next week. We are continuing in our Church Victorious series. We have been going through um, and talking about the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is just six chapters, so I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to read the book of Ephesians this week. Six chapters, you got seven days. It gives you a buffer day, you know. You can read a chapter a day. Um, and so we're continuing in that series this morning, and I'm really excited because um, I got all fired up preparing for this message this week. So let's pray as we uh, go into the Word of God this morning. God, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it is alive that it lives in us, and God, that it has power to change our lives. God, I pray that you would draw near this morning. God, help us to understand your word. Help us to understand you. Help us to love you more and learn how to love others more as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we get going, I want to give a little information and maybe a little context about the book that we're studying right now, about the book of Ephesians. Because I think anytime you open your Bible, it's important to remember, especially these types of books, that these were letters written from, by a real person to real people, that they knew each other, that they had worshiped and lived and worked together. And it's easy for us to open our scriptures and see it as kind of this generic or anonymous letter. And that just isn't the case. The book of Ephesians um, was written to a real church, to a real group of believers. It was written by the Apostle Paul. So I just want to give you a little information because it always helps me to know what I'm reading, to know who wrote it, to know why they wrote it. And this, thanks to the power of the internet, is information that is available to all of us. So I just want to encourage you when you read your Bible and you read something that you're like, huh, why did they say it that way? Or that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Go and find out who wrote that. Who were they writing to? What was going on at the time? Because when we talk about the Bible being God's living word, it means that that word had power in whatever context it was written in. So it has power today, but it also had power when it was written, and it was relevant to the people at that time. So the book of Ephesians was written 
we think between the years 60 and 62, roughly. That was a long time ago. And this is called one of the prison letters because Paul was in prison when he wrote it. It was his first imprisonment in Rome. The audience was a group of Christians and believers in Ephesus. Does anyone know, this is a bonus question, where is Ephesus? What modern-day country is Ephesus located in? Davis? Turkey. Ding, ding. Gold high point buck for you, Davis. <laughs> Don't you wish? I could just... Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. And Paul actually spent three years living and ministering in Ephesus. So it wasn't like he just wrote a letter off to people he'd never met. He lived, he worked, he taught these guys. He loved them for three years. And you can go, this is actually what I love about the Bible, you can go into the book of Acts and read about Paul's time in Ephesus. If you're going to read Ephesians, then you can be like, well, what was his relationship with them like? You can read in Acts 19 and 20 what he did in Ephesus. This was where you might have heard the miracles in the New Testament of handkerchiefs that Paul had touched. Maybe he wiped his brow with while he was teaching those handkerchiefs then being carried to sick people in other parts of the city and those sick people being healed. So have you all noticed Andy started using handkerchiefs up here, wiping his brow? I think we should just see what happens, right? Let's test it out. Let's see what God can do. So Ephesus was a major city. It was a big cultural, political, intellectual center for that region of the world. And it was also the hub for the worship of the goddess Artemis, which was a huge, um, uh, there was a huge temple in Ephesus. People would come from all over the region. It was a big economic boon for the city. People would come there. They would spend money there. And it was a big deal. And Paul and the Christians disrupted that whole thing. And uh, that caused some problems um, for Paul. But we don't have time to talk about that. So the, that gives you a little context of Ephesians and who these people were. Paul loved these guys. And one of the reasons I love that we're call, calling this series Church Victorious is because by all, appearance, uh, by all appearances, this church may not have looked that victorious to you or to me. They were probably at this point kind of small. They were meeting in secret because Christians, it was not legal to be a Christian. Christians were persecuted. They were in danger. Their teachings were seen by the, uh, by the Roman Empire as dangerous and treasonous. And so I love, and I love that we're calling this church victorious because the truths Paul lays out in his letter to the Ephesians is that we have the victory in Jesus, that Jesus has paid the price, that he has secured our redemption, and that's where our victory is. Not in our social status, not in our bank account, not in what we do for a living, not in any of that stuff that you or I would look at and be like, oh yeah, they're victorious. We're the church victorious because Jesus is our champion, and he has won the victory for us. Amen? Okay, so in a minute, we're going to get to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're up to today. But I want to lay out for you sort of the structure of this book. Paul spends much of the first three chapters of Ephesus that Pastor Andy has preached about laying a spiritual 
and a theological foundation. Because remember, these early Christians, they didn't have the Bible like what you and I have. They had the Hebrew Scriptures, and they had the preaching and the teachings of the apostles, the people that were still living who had been with Jesus. And so a lot had to be done to teach them what does it actually mean to follow Jesus. What, what are we all doing here? What is this? And so Paul spends the first three chapters of Ephesus laying a theological foundation, and it is so rich. You can spend, we could spend months on each chapter, but he basically talks about that Jesus has redeemed us, that we were dead in our sins. You were dead in your sins, he says to them. Dead, gone, done. But you are made alive in Jesus. And that Jesus, one of his big points in Ephesians is that Jesus has abolished the things that we use to separate ourselves from each other. Let me say that again. Paul tells us, Jesus has abolished the things that you use to separate yourselves from each other. See, back then, the biggie would have been Jews and Gentiles. Don't eat together. Don't talk to each other. Don't live with each other. Don't nothing. But here we have in the church Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. We have male and female divisions. We have racial divisions. These days, you can, I can name off a dozen things that we use to separate ourselves from each other. You know, political parties, football teams. Um, <laughs> we won't go there. I don't want to stir anything up too much. But Jesus came to bring everyone into unity. Doesn't mean that I still don't have a preference or, or a category that I might fit in, but the category of Christ follower and daughter of God supersedes and goes above and beyond all those other things. So that's what Paul spends the first three chapters doing. And then the rest of the book, you, I can just imagine, I'm sitting there in Ephesus, I'm reading the book letter and going, okay, but what do we do? Like, what does this actually mean? How do I live my life? How do I treat my kids? How do I treat my husband? How do I, how does this affect how I live? And so that's where he begins to break it down for us, starting in chapter 4. So let's read that. Um, let's look at how he opens chapter 4. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Paul says, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So what is your life worth? What is your calling worth? Do we actually even, do we know that? Do we know? Do you guys ever watch Antiques Roadshow? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Actually, I love that show. Either if I can settle down and the kids are busy or in bed and I can watch Antiques Roadshow or British, the Great British Baking Show, I, that is just my Friday night. 
Don't be jealous of my rock star lifestyle. I know it's a little much for some of you, but I, I love Antiques Roadshow because I love when people bring in things to the show. If you've never watched it, people bring in usually antiques, items that they've had for a long time, and they want to know what they're worth. They don't know. They think they could be worth something. They're not sure. And so they bring them before these experts who analyze and who it's kind of a big reveal. You know, this hat is worth $50,000. And oh my gosh, and everyone, people cry and I get all choked up. I don't know. I just love it. I cry at the British Baking Show too, so I'm not probably a good judge of, <laughs> judge of these things. But every now and then in the news, you will read kind of these types of stories about people having something incredible in their possession and they never even knew it. So I looked up a couple of those and here's some of the really crazy ones that I found. This guy in the UK had a lawn ornament, like this stone, kind of funky looking little statue thing. And it had been in his backyard for like 20 years. He inherited it from an uncle or something. I mean, it sat out in the sun, the wind, the rain, birds probably you know, use the bathroom on it. And then eventually he takes a look at it, looks at it and thinks, I should probably get somebody to look at that, like appraise that or something. Turns out this piece of stone is an Egyptian artifact that dates back to 1500 BC. And he'd had it in his like garden shed for 20 years. I mean, 15, that's, that's, a, that's kind of a big deal, right? Okay. Another guy walks into a thrift store. Sounds like the start of a joke. Guy walks into a thrift store. This is real. A guy walks into a thrift store in Philadelphia and sees a painting for four bucks. And he buys it because he liked the frame. He didn't really like the painting. Well, a couple of years later, he's kind of moving it around on the wall. And the frame breaks. He's like, great. That's the whole reason I bought this thing. Well, then behind the painting between the frame and the painting is a folded up piece of paper. Takes the paper, unfolds it. You guys, I'm not kidding. It's a copy of the Declaration of Independence. No, I actually was like, that didn't happen. That sounds like a Nicolas Cage movie. This is National Treasure 3, right? No, it was true. He had it verified. It was one of 23 remaining original copies of the Declaration. So he bought that thing for four bucks. It's sold at auction for $2.4 million. I know. All right, last one. I could go on. I find this stuff so interesting. Okay, a, wo a woman drops off a few boxes of electronics at like an electronics recycling center. It had been stuff that belonged to her husband, had been in the garage for years. She didn't really know what it all was. Dropped it off. Leaves. A few weeks later, the workers at this recycling center are going through what she's dropped off and in one of the boxes they find an original Apple One computer. One of the very first, it was only about 200 made, very first desktop Apple computers that Steve Jobs ever made, right, in his garage in like the late 70s. It's worth $200,000 but they could never find the lady to tell her, right. Does this not just make you want to go to your local thrift store and just see. See, I never have this kind of luck. I will go to Goodwill and I'll find like a shoe. And like, where's the other one? Maybe this is worth something. Oh, here's a box of light bulbs that, oh, all the light bulbs are actually dead already. Okay. 
So <laughs> imagine, though, maybe you have a story, maybe not that dramatic. You're going to all go home and, like, look behind the fra- picture frames in your house. But maybe you have a similar story, something that you've had and treated casually in your life, and then you find out that it's got this immense and incredible worth. Imagine having something like that and not realizing what it was, what it actually was worth. Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Sometimes if if I read a word in the New Testament or in, in any scripture verse that seems important, I like to go and look up what the original word meant in the Greek. And this is easy to do now these days because it's all online. And so I looked up, what did the word translated into worthy? What did that word mean? Well, it's a Greek word. Uh, The Greek word is axios. And what that word means is it implies weight. It implies specifically having equal or corresponding weight. So picture one of those old-timey scales, you know, like that. And picture God's calling on one side of the scale and your life on the other side of the scale. And do they balance? Is the worth of your calling in Christ Jesus, does the weight of your life and the way you live it measure? Does it, does it equal? That's axios. That's worthy. So when Paul says, I urge you to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you've received, he's saying, your life has weight. Your life has value. Jesus has redeemed you and made you alive. Live in such a way that reflects that. Live a a life that's worthy. Now, if you're like me, you're like, well, that's great. But how? How do do we do that? What does that actually mean? Well, he tells us in those verses that we just read a moment ago. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, this list is not the splashy, exciting list that maybe we might want it to be. Where are the crowds, the adoring crowds? Where's the money and fame and where's the adventures and the excitement? Well, it starts (laughs) with living humbly, being gentle with others, with truly loving them and seeking unity. See, all that other flashy stuff that we get excited about, that actually doesn't convince people of the reality of Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus actually said in John chapter 17, before he, almost a little bit before he went to the cross, Jesus said the way the world would know that God was real was by the way you and I love each other. He said the way the world will know that God is real and that this is true is by the way that believers in Jesus treat each other and love each other. So that kind of love, that kind of humility, gentleness, patience, all those things I just read, that's supernatural. That's how do you handle it when you disagree with someone? 
How do you handle it on Facebook when you disagree with someone? How do you react? How do you respond when your feelings get hurt? What do you say when someone you love makes a choice that you don't agree with? How do you react? How do you talk about someone else when they aren't there? Especially if they've hurt your feelings. In our world today, imagine the difference that could be made in this city alone, in Kennesaw alone. If every Christ follower, if we follower, if we really walked in humility and gentleness and love, you guys, that would be supernatural. I mean, I would love to see handkerchiefs healing the sick. Don't get me wrong, and come, come, Lord Jesus. But if if we would love each other, if we would react and respond in humility and gentleness, like the scriptures tell us to, the effect on our communities, on our nation, on our world would be supernatural. Because that's the kind, it is supernatural because that's the kind of love that Jesus has put into us. There's so much in Ephesians 4. It is just packed with good stuff. And I could spend so much more time talking about just what we've, what we've already spoken about. But I want to um, move on to the next little section. Paul talks about how God has called us to live this worthy life and that he's given us gifts and graced us with different gifts to do those things and that the purpose is that we would bring glory to God. Now, another way to, to think about bringing glory to God is that by bringing glory to God, it's like we're making his name famous in our world. Bringing glory to God is when someone around you goes, huh, I never thought about the Lord in that way. I never thought about Jesus that way, but, but their life has made me think of him differently. Guess what? Ding, ding, you just brought glory to God. Congratulations. <laughs> so let's look at this next section. I think it's verse, starting in verse 11. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now we're going to go on, but I just want to emphasize to you, remember, he's laying it out for them. This is all new. The church of Jesus is only a generation old. If that, Jesus and Jesus' life is still living memory for a lot of people. This is all so new. So he's explaining to them, listen, God's given us gifts. He's given you gifts. He's sending people in the church who are going to be pastors and teachers, evangelists, apostles and prophets. And their job is to equip you and me so that we grow up into maturity. So that we, are, we grow up and we grow down, established in the love of God. Verse 14. And this is the reason for all of that. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From Christ, the whole body joined and held together 
by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So he's telling them, guys, this is what it should look like. Love me, love Jesus, follow Jesus, and let yourself be equipped so that you can be mature. Have you ever felt tossed to and fro on the waves like he describes? I relate to that. Life can be confusing at times. There's all kinds of of ideas and teaching and all kinds of stuff, even within the church sometimes, that can compete for our attention and can cause us to feel, feel buffeted here and there. But as we allow ourselves to be in the church, to be equipped, it matures us. It establishes us in the faith, and it establishes us in the love of God. You see, the believers in Ephesus... Remember, this is a real letter written to real people. These people were living in a culture that was very hostile to their beliefs. It was dangerous for them. Now, we can feel here in Georgia, in the 21st century, that we live in a culture that's hostile to our beliefs. And in many ways, it is. But we can sit at any Starbucks on any street corner with our open Bible. We can worship together. We can do things that the believers in Ephesus would have never been able to imagine doing. Their lives were at risk because of their faith. And this is, and the way that they wanted to live and were called to live was totally countercultural in every way. And that's why we have so many parts of the New Testament like this, where Paul is laying it out this is how you should act. This is how you should treat each other because it wasn't second nature to them. Some things we just kind of know to do, they didn't know because it was, could, Christianity could not have been more different from the culture they were in. So our culture may be different, but we face the same risk that they did. If I don't ground myself in the love of Jesus, if I don't allow myself to be equipped in my faith, I'm going to be blown around like that scripture we just read. Blown around on waves of circumstance and the winds of confusing philosophy and and teaching that's opposite from the word of God. I'll be confused. I'll be distracted. Our lives may be different from the believers in Ephesus, but our calling is the same. To live a worthy life life, a life that's worthy of our calling, to love others and to learn to be like Jesus. And you know what? There is no magical formula. And what Paul said to them, be humble, be gentle, love each other, that's what we got to do too. That's what we got to do too. So this is the blueprint that Paul is laying out for them. And later in the following weeks in chapters 5 and 6, he goes on to give specific instructions for how to live and how to treat each other. I mean, it's kind of hilarious if you think about it. Some, there are some books, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, where Paul's giving instructions on how to take communion. And when you read this, you realize, like, they really didn't know. They were so, being a Christian was so countercultural. Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul's like, guys, when you come to take communion, don't eat all the bread and get drunk and drink all the wine. Other, don't, he literally is like, Don't come hungry. Like, eat before you come so that you don't eat at all. Save some for everyone. I mean, people were literally coming. If you ever feel 
bad about how you're doing in your walk with Jesus. You're not coming to church and getting drunk on the, and eating all the communion food, are you? No. So, I mean, he really is, guys, this is how we walk with Jesus. This is, this is what this life is supposed to be like. I can relate to this. You know, I need help. Sometimes I need to know, what does it mean to love God? How is that supposed to reflect into my life right now? And that was really the purpose of this book. How to treat each other. How to love God. How to live a worthy life and what that looks like. So I want to fast forward a little bit to about 30 years after this letter is written. Sometimes... Do you know like when you read a book you really love and you finish it and you think, I wonder what happened to those characters. Or I wonder if it ever, I wonder if they ever made it. Or I wonder if, you know, well, we have a little glimpse into what happened to the Ephesian church and what happened to those believers at Ephesus who Paul loved so much. And if you read in the book of Acts, you can read about when he left Ephesus for the last time. He called the elders of the church to him and they basically clung to him and wept because they knew they'd never see him again. And it's just, I mean, these people loved Jesus. They loved Paul. They, they wanted to serve God. So let's fast forward. Maybe what happened? What happened there? What happened to them? Another 30 years have gone by. It's around 90 AD. Still a really long time ago. Paul has been decades before beheaded and executed in Rome. And there's only one living disciple, original disciple of Jesus left, and that's John, the apostle. And he receives a series of visions, supernatural visions uh, from the Lord and writes a letter to the churches in the, in the area called Revelation. Now there was a lot, we could spend a whole year on Revelation. <laughs> but at the beginning of Revelation, the Lord has short messages for, for seven of the churches in the region. And one of the messages he has is for the church in Ephesus. Now keep in mind, we've just talked about what was Paul trying to teach the Ephesians? To the, what was he writing to them? And let's see, what does the Lord 30 years later have to say to the church in Ephesus? This is Revelation chapter 2, I believe starting in verse 2. Now this is Jesus speaking. It says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I tell you what, I read this passage with whole new eyes this week. After we've spent time in Ephesians and then to read this section out of Revelation. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Other translations say you have left your first love. Wow. 
Let's, let's just look at this for a moment. This is a church that has existed and persisted for decades in a hostile environment. They've grown, they've uh, suffered through difficulties, through persecution, they've guarded the foundations of the faith. These guys, if there were such a thing as all-star team for, for Christians, these guys were all-stars. They were amazing. They held firm in the midst of incredible pressure. They've actually done what Paul instructed them to do. We just remember, we just read in Ephesians 4, to be equipped and establish yourself in the faith so that you're not blown here and there by confusing teachings. They've actually done that. And so it hits home all the more to me when the Lord says to them, I know your deeds. I've seen. I've seen you. I see how hard you've worked. I see that you haven't grown weary. But you don't love me like you used to. You don't love each other like you used to. You need to repent and do the things that you used to do. The Lord says, you've done all these wonderful things, but you see, loving Jesus, loving each other, supersedes everything else that we can do for him. You know, what if I went to Jason and said, we're going to still stay married, we're going to stay together, I'm still a mother to our kids, we're going to live in the same house, we're going to, you know, I'll cook all our meals. I don't even do that now, but I'll, <laughs> I've actually stopped cooking this summer. I don't know if Jason's noticed, but when he asks me what's for dinner, I'm always like, oh, I don't know, there's pizzas. <laughs> anyway, um, sorry, I'm getting off topic. What if I came to him and said, I'm going to do all those things. Our life on the outside is going to look pretty much like it always has. But I'm just not going to love you that much anymore. I'm not going to love you like I used to anymore. We'll get along fine, and we'll be friends, and it's, it's going to be fine. But I just, I don't know. He would not be okay with that, I'm guessing. <laughs> he would not. He would say, uh, no, we need to go back to where we started. We need to remember why we got into this in the first place, right? See, sometimes you and I can be doing the right things just because we know it's the right things to do. Even in the midst of serving God, just like these guys in Ephesus did, they stood firm. They did the right things. They did a lot of good. But in the midst of that, their love for Jesus had grown cold. So, let's regroup. Let's see, and we're, we're beginning to come in for a landing here. Let's combine these two instructions and warnings we know were given to the Ephesians, and let's see what we can learn. Okay, these things were written 30 years apart. Paul says, live a life that's worthy, walk worthy of your calling. Remember? Equal weight. And 30 years later, John says, or the Holy Spirit says through John, Return to your first love. What can we learn from this? What can the Lord say to us 2,000 years later? The word of God's alive, right? It's relevant then and it's relevant now. So here's what I wonder. I wonder if the Ephesians started out following Paul's instructions 
because of their love of because they loved Jesus because they wanted to love others well and so it's like because we love Jesus and want to love others well we're going to resist false teachings and establish ourselves in the faith and so love was their motivation but I wonder if over the years and the decades and the trials and the sufferings that came if gradually those two priorities swapped places that we're going to establish ourselves and resist false teaching because this is the team we're on. And this is just what we do. Do you see how gradually, subtly, over time, you, you and I can do the same thing? I wonder if over time they begin to do those things not for the purpose of loving better, of loving Jesus more, or loving each other well, but because it's just what they were supposed to do. I can relate to that. I do things a lot of times just because it's what I'm supposed to do. Anyone else can relate to that. We can do a lot of good and worthy things. But to walk worthy of our calling is to love Jesus above all else. See, I wonder sometimes, and maybe you do too, am I loving Jesus the way he's called me to? Am I living my life in such a way that reflects the calling that God has given me? See, sometimes we mistake the idea of a calling to be like, you're called to the mission field or you're called to the worship team or no, you're called to glorify God with your life because Jesus has redeemed you he has put that worth into you and it carries a weight with it and I ask myself on the outside it probably it might look like I'm doing all the right things but on the inside why am I doing why am I doing it is it because I love Jesus and I want to know him better and I want other people around me to know him better or is it because, well, this is what people expect me to do? Walk in such a way, live in such a way that's worthy of the calling you've received. There's a lots of good things that we do. Lots of causes that you can take up and that are wonderful and admirable things to do. But we need to ask ourselves when we do that, is this cause, is this thing helping me love Jesus more? Is it helping me love my neighbor more? Is it facilitating that? And if it's not, we have to look at our priorities. So I want to pray over us today. And I want to close with a prayer that Paul prayed, actually, in the book of Ephesians for the believers there. And as we pray and receive the word of God in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. What's your response to what you've heard today? What is God speaking to you about? Is he speaking to you to remind you of the incredible worth of your calling? That you have been called by God. Yes, you. Is he speaking to you to live your life in such a way that reflects that worth? 
Is he talking to you about returning back to the way you loved him at first? Is he reminding you what that was like? How you prioritized your love for him over everything else? Is he calling you to make that again your top priority? If we could just all stand, I want you to just let those questions resonate in your heart a little bit this morning. And I'm going to speak the word of God over us today. This is out of the end of Ephesians chapter 3. And, you know, the church I grew up in, every Sunday, the pastor would give the benediction. And I loved it. We would all stand, and he would extend his hands. And it was, benediction means blessing. It was was a transfer of a a blessing from the word of God. And so that's what I want to do this morning. And I want you to just close your eyes and receive this words of blessing and the word of God this morning. This is out of Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen Jesus